electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and James McDonald, CEO of Hercules Investments. Tonight on Fast, the post-election pop. Stocks surge as results roll in. We'll break down what drove today's big rally and find out if we are headed for even more gains. Plus, we're tracking the after-hours action and shares of Qualcomm. That stock is soaring on strong results. We've got instant reaction to the quarter. And later, we're talking cars, casinos, and cannabis. The three big wins at the ballot box and how you can trade them. But we start off with the latest breaking news on the election. NBC News is projecting Biden winning Michigan, a key battleground state, and one that President Trump won in 2016. This brings Biden's total electoral votes to 253 214 for President Trump. But there are still six uncalled races in several key battleground states that are still too close to call Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, Arizona, Nevada. Arizona, moments ago, Joe Biden delivered a speech in Wilmington, Delaware. Diana Olick was there. Diana. Yeah, Melissa, he urged patience just after midnight last night. Now Joe Biden is on the offensive. But he also recognized just how divided this country is and how profoundly this election proved that. In his speech just an hour ago, he used the words respect, care, unite, and heal. But he also touted his campaign's achievements, garnering more than 70 million votes, more than any other ticket in history. And then he used his fighting words. We, the people, will not be silenced. We, the people, will not be bullied. We, the people, will not surrender. My friends... I'm confident we'll emerge victorious. And part of that was the launch of a new campaign appeal. Biden tweeted this afternoon that he was starting the Fight Fund to raise money to fight any legal battles. Quote, because Donald Trump doesn't get to decide the outcome of this election, the American people do. It was a short speech to the nation, but it definitely made the point. He then left the Chase Center presumably to start that fight. Melissa. Diana, thank you, Diana Oleg. Now let's get to Eamon Javers, who's been following the latest from the Trump campaign as it mounts a legal strategy here. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, the Trump campaign has been signaling through the afternoon that they're going to fight this thing. They held a press conference uh, just a short time ago with Bill Stepien and Jason Miller, uh, two top campaign aides. Let me run you through exactly what the, they were talking about in terms of the argument for the path forward here for the Trump campaign. They're saying they're declaring victory in Pennsylvania, although Pennsylvania vote counting is ongoing. Uh, they say uh, that there's too much Trump vote in Butler, York and Blair counties in Pennsylvania, which they call Trump country, uh, for Joe Biden to overtake. Uh, Donald Trump in that state. Uh, we'll see if that's right. The Biden people uh, clearly dispute that and say they have a chance there. Uh, they're also demanding that news organizations retract their Arizona call for Biden. You know that some news organizations, not NBC News, made that call last night. Uh, they are saying that call was wrong, the Trump campaign is, and they'd like that to be retracted. They're also saying they're confident uh, that Trump is going to win North Carolina and Georgia. Uh, and they say they expect a Trump re-election confirmation 
as soon as Friday. So uh, they are expressing confidence, signaling a willing to fight, saying they're going to deploy their lawyers. Uh, we saw a, a, a rushed press conference by Rudy Giuliani just a short time ago, uh, alleging uh, all kinds of uh, wrongdoing and conspiracies against the Trump campaign. Uh, so this is a campaign that is spoiling for a, a fight now, Melissa. Uh, we'll see how much further they can take this, given that uh, that Michigan decision now gives Joe Biden quite a few pass to 270, and Donald Trump really has to run the table now on the remaining states in order to stay in this thing. But just to underscore this, Eamon, the campaign, the Trump campaign has only offered allegations so far right. and no hard evidence. Right, absolutely. And, and at the same time, we say they're declaring victory in Pennsylvania. That's, what they, that's the language they used on the conference right. call. But, of course, that's not how this works. Victory is not declared by the campaign. Uh, it's declared by the state itself. Yep. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers. You Let's turn now to the market reaction to this historic vote. Stocks surging as the results trickle in. Big tech leading the gains. The Nasdaq posting its best performance since early April. Shares of Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and others jumping 4% or more. But the strength wasn't universal. Bank stocks, industrials, materials, they were all down. So what did today's market action tell us about yesterday's vote? Guy, your take. Some more, hey, Mel, it's more function to me, and Tim has spoken about this, James. I know Dan has as well. It's more function what happened in the House and in the Senate than really the presidential election. Obviously, that's clearly extraordinarily important. But for the market, I think it took its cues from exactly that. The fact that the Democrats didn't have the wave that they were hoping for, I think, assuaged some of the concerns twofold, probably, along a potential Biden victory in so much as you're not going to have these huge tax uh, problems for these corporations and potential tax selling on behalf of investors, something that Dan's been talking about. And the flip side is maybe the situation with China, uh, maybe those whatever tensions the market perceives them to be with President Trump are somehow uh, alleviated under a potential President Biden administration. So I think that's why you saw tech move the way it had today. With that said, you know, in terms of the Nasdaq, you're back to levels that we saw you know, seemingly a week and a half, two weeks or so ago. 12,000, that prior September 2nd high is still in the crosshairs. Um, but I don't think we're going to get there because I think what we're going to see now is some of the vitriol coming from the other side of this. And I think that's going to take volatility, which we talked about last night at 40. We talked about the potential for the trade 29. Here we are. I think the real trade is probably being long vol once again. Yeah, this decline in the volatility index, this is the biggest decline in more than seven months. And on top of that, you pair that with some of the extraordinary gains we saw in big cap technology today. We're talking 8% up for Facebook, 6% higher for Alphabet. Um, Tim, what do you do with some of these names given the backdrop? Well, I, I think you have to be careful. And I, I, you know, we all try to be accountable to things we've said on the show and stay consistent. I, I, I was saying I think that the triple Qs would hit 245, 250 before they hit 300. And, and that was at least in a world where I, I, I thought we were going to see uh, more of a change in the GOP, for, out of the GOP uh, into the blues in, in terms of Congress. But I think, you know, Guy outlined the tax dynamics. I think that's very important. Uh, tax based selling and, and, and certainly possible increases in corporate taxes that are at least off the table. The other part of that is uh, you, you seemingly have a slower growth uh, outline ahead, both in terms of fiscal stimulus that will be less than expected uh, and possibly more stalemate, which means you buy the growth names that at least are conservative big balance sheets. And the only the only growth you have is in tech. So I think that's the other side of the rally in tech. It's very mm -hmm. important. The market got 
arguably what they wanted if the status quo stays where we are. Um, and, and I'll let the, the political folks go, go at it. I, I do think you've got a case where volatility has come down. Uh, we've had such a great rally, 7.5% on the NASDAQ, effectively off of the lows from Friday. You've had 6.5% off of the lows from Thursday on the S&P. And, and yes, I, I think it's only, you know, we said last night that the only certainty was uncertainty. The market actually was, you know, as, as always, seems to be the, the one place that was getting the, the, the overall dynamics of the politics right. And, and the market got some sense that, OK, we probably won't know. We'll have a good sense as we come in. But I do think it's going to get a little wilder ahead. And after a very big rally, mm-hmm. um, I don't think you need to chase this. I also don't think that there's anything in terms of uh, macro that's going to change the dynamic for the market in the short to medium term. I have a question, though, about what we've seen in technology and some of the other sectors, Dan, and, and that is if, if this is the Goldilocks scenario that you've got a Democratic president who is going to be tough on the pandemic, checked by a Republican Senate and a, and a weakened Democratic stronghold uh, in, in the House, then, then why is it only that technology is rallied? Why wouldn't we see more of a reaction in some of the reopening trades? Why wouldn't it be more broad-based unless you think that we're going to get a smaller stimulus, economic growth will be slower, and you want to be in the sectors that have more organic growth. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, Mel. And I think Tim just kind of spoke to that a little bit. And we're going to get Jerome Powell um, tomorrow. And I think that he's going to be a little disappointed here. I think he was looking for a little help. He was trying to pass the baton to Treasury and to Congress. And I think that um, a Biden administration with a blue Senate majority was kind of already willing and able to accept that baton and go forward. So um, to me, I think what's going on when you see rates, the 10-year Treasury reverse the way that it did today in front of that Fed meeting, and then you see the name surging like you did. This is, you know, again, this may be a very tough slog, a slow growth environment. We may have a consumer that is really stretched heading into the holiday season with not a whole heck of a lot of help right as this virus is surging again. So what do the mitigation, um, you know, efforts look like and what do they do to our economy in the meantime? So where do you go? You go back into the big tech here. So, you know, I'm really keyed on what Powell has to say tomorrow. And if that is going to cause some volatility in the market, I do not love the way we closed here. We gapped up 2%. At one point, we were up 3 and change percent, closed uh, you know, a percent or so off the highs. I feel like we're probably ready after a peak to trough or, or you know, a, a low on Friday, up 7% at the highs this morning in just three trading days. I think we could probably come back into 3,400 um, as there's tons of uncertainty. Here's the other mm-hmm. thing. This election, this is going to be contested right now. And that uncertainty, I don't think investors are going to like, especially after such a sharp rally. Yeah. And remember back with uh, Bush v. Gore, that took a month um, after the elections for it to actually be declared by the Supreme Court. So if we use that as any sort of a template, I'm not saying that it's it's a completely parallel situation. It could be a month before we get resolution. James, you're skeptical the tech trade prior to this. And yet it looks here like all signs point to technology as, as being the place investors should be. What do you say? It's incredibly important that we put our thinking caps on and look at all the conversations we're having about risk and look at history to teach us something. Tech is going to come down. 73% of the gains in this market since March have come from the top 10 holdings in the NASDAQ 100. The average price earnings ratio in the NASDAQ 100 is at 35. The top 10 are 134. We're at all-time highs of GDP to tech market cap higher than we were just before the dot-com bubble. We've got unprecedented risk, political risk, tax risk, regulatory risk. 
geopolitical risk. And we are overvalued. This market's coming down. We are putting defensive positions on in tech. Things that lead us the highest up come down fastest. And we are putting our focus on VolQ because it's the VIX for the NASDAQ 100. All of my predecessors in this conversation have mentioned volatility. It's at a cheap level right now. We really like VolQ here to protect the profits that have been generated from this sector. Yeah, and remember, that's a new product, the volatility index for the NASDAQ. Um, but James, you mentioned regulatory and taxes. Don't those concerns abate with the power structure it looks like we will have in Washington now? Well, you have to understand, even though the power structure is less unfriendly to China, we're not going to hear the China virus anymore. Uh, we had stalemates going into uh, 2020, and these tensions are present, especially around Apple, especially around NVIDIA, especially around Tesla. And let me point this out. China has something called a five-year plan. We all know about it. When five-year plans emphasize specific industries, those industries see a lift of 150% on average in industrial production, employment, and investment. They're plan for the next five years involves energy and 5G. And so they're at the center point of what's going to be probably the hottest commodity. And I don't think uh, that the risk is uh, lower with Biden. I think it increases because there's more stakes. All right. Let's get more reaction to today's move higher in the markets. Joining us is Tony Dwyer, the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, great to have you with us. Great to be with you. Uh, what's your interpretation of this rally? So I think it's just a reversal of what we saw in the prior two days. Like, for example, I was looking before we came on, I was looking at the BKX, which is the KBW Bank Stock Index, which is exactly where it closed on Friday. In other words, you just there, there was a, kind of an inappropriate anticipation of this massive blue wave that had lifted all the cyclical stocks. And that was just reversed with today's decision. I, I think today's or lack of decision to the election to me and the reason that the, the market went up more than anything is it took out the extreme tail risks because the, the House, actually, the Dems lost some votes and the Republicans kept it looks like they're going to keep the Senate. That takes away your massive tax hikes, which are, the of course, the negative anti-business unfriendly uh, policy. But it also ta takes away to what the panel said. It takes away the massive stimulus that the market was anticipating in the prior two days. So to me, it just neutralized what was going on before it. So what does neutralization mean for, for the market's trajectory, Tony? So I, I, Mel, as you know, I'm bullish and I'm bullish not in the next 15 minutes. I've proven I'm not the greatest trader of all time, as I always say. However, if you've taken out the tail risk, what are you left with? You're left with low inflation, ultra easy Fed for as far as the eye can see, excess liquidity to a historic degree, and a synchronized global recovery, the beginning of a synchronized global recovery. So our view is, you know, because you've taken out some of the political tail risk here, I think you want to use any volatility that presents itself to, to kind of attack risk, meaning get into risk um, based on that excess liquidity and global growth rather than fear it. Hey, Tony, uh, it's Tim. Thanks hey, for joining Tony. us. So help us now with the macro, because the presumption was that the dollar was going to go lower and rates were going to go higher. Um, what are you expecting with the dollar that even before we really started pricing in blue wave um, was was actually showing that it, it was running out of some steam? And what do you do with the rates markets? Because yeah. these industrial trades, some of these resource trades, I think are still very much in play. Oh, I think they're absolutely. I, Timmy, you had an inappropriate run up two days before an election that was totally uncertain. The time to add risk wasn't this past Monday. It was after the rally. It was when you only had 5% of the S&P above its 10-day moving average and the VIX spiked above 40 last Wednesday, right? So I don't, I don't think there, there's any change in our outlook. 
we, we are in a weaker dollar framework over the course of the next three to six months, which means emerging cyclical small cap and commodities. Now, that that was consensus Monday when some people downgraded tech and upgraded cyclicals. I, I don't see any change there. We're going to be a little bit more volatile over the, until we figure out who's going to be the president. But ultimately, as I wrote today, the most powerful person in Washington, D.C., it was Ben Bernanke, then it was Janet Yellen, and now it's Jerome Powell. And we're going to get his news tomorrow. So, so, Tony, hey, it's Dan, bud. Um, so you just mentioned the tail risk. It sounded like more of like a political sort of situation. Wouldn't you say that the other tail risk is, is just the second wave? We see Europe shutting down. Uh, we see that we might take more aggressive mitigation attempts um, here. I don't think we'll do lockdowns or anything like that. But without further fiscal stimulus, um, isn't the risk here that we just see a dramatic slowing in growth? And then you look back to 2019, the S&P 500 had no earnings growth, but went up 30 percent. This year, we're going to have negative earnings growth, significant down, you know, 15, I don't know, 20 percent and we have a market up 7%. So what does that leave for 2021 without a major fiscal stimulus bill? Well, well, first, Dana, it's a great question. I think you will get fiscal stimulus, but let's look at the difference between the prior shutdown or lockdown from the COVID-19 and today. If you remember back in February, we had downgraded the market in January because there was this risk that was unidentified. You didn't even know what COVID-19 was. You didn't know what it would do to the economy. And we literally shut it down. Shut it down, not slowed it down, not opened up, you know, for outdoor dining, shut it down globally. And you didn't know how the Fed was going to react. Since then, we've raised almost a trillion dollars in corporate credit new issuance. Companies have extended maturities. They're borrowing. Everybody is borrowing money at historically low rates. That's what's driven the excess liquidity that can get us there. And that's the difference from that prior instance when we didn't know if there was going to be liquidity. There was no access to money and the government forced a shutdown. Tony, always good to get your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity. And I think this is sort of the conundrum that the markets have, Guy, and, and that is uh, the notion that, that liquidity and that uh, low rates, all low inflation, all that can offset the potential slowdown that we could see ahead for us in the economy because the stimulus package may be uh, you know, long in coming. It may be months before we have it. It may be smaller than we, we need, et cetera. And there's a pandemic, by the way, still going on. Yeah, that's been the game, right? And the only time the really markets had a hiccup uh, outside of a few events has been when the Fed has signaled that they really want to pass the baton from monetary to fiscal. The market hasn't liked that all that much. And quickly, because I think it's worth pointing out, Tony mentioned something about the huge run up in some of these industrial names. It was either last night or Monday. The time sort of escapes me now. But Karen spoke to exactly that, if you remember, with URI. She was questioning as to why URI mm -hmm. had rallied to the magnitude that it did. Didn't make sense to her. And then you see a name like that down, I think, 24 or $25 on a day like today. So there were a lot of weird things going on leading up to this. You know, my concern just sort of, you know, you want to talk about tail risk. The president uh, has been very outspoken that if Joe Biden would be elected, the 401ks would all be devastated. We'd be on the verge of, you know, you pull, you pull out the other, you know, recession, depression type thing. If the market were to rally... Um, when it becomes at some point potentially clear that there's going to be a new administration, there, there's some serious tail risk associated with that if you start to do the, the calculus in your head. That is very concerning to me.
Coming up, a ballot box bonanza, the three big initiatives that sent these stocks soaring today. But first, we've got a pair of earnings alerts. We'll break down the after-hours action. Qualcomm and Mercado Libre. Stay with us. Fast Money's back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Believe it or not, there's news outside of this election. We've got an earnings alert on Qualcomm. Shares of the chipmaker are surging up almost 13% after reporting a big earnings beat. The company's conference call is now underway. Guy, where do you go with this one? You stay with Qualcomm. I mean, I will say the 132 was a prior high, I think, a couple weeks or so ago. We're obviously significantly through that. But if you look at the quarter they just posted, not only did they report a ridiculous fourth quarter in terms of EPS and revenue, they actually gave guidance for the first quarter, and the guidance was spectacular. People will say, despite that, it's probably still expensive. That's true. Maybe you have to do a back and fill back to that previous high of 132. But Qualcomm absolutely acquitted itself extraordinarily well. And it happens to be one of those uh, chip names that we have talked about for a long time here on Fast Money Mill. That's right. Uh, and Dan, giving guidance, that's, that's big in, in today's environment. We already saw chips gain um, even in the wee hours of the morning um, based on the, the election results that we got at that point. Yeah, I mean, listen, these guys are going to benefit right now. Um, just it's a cyclical play in a way. They probably have some good visibility as it relates to the smartphones. There's probably some stuff going on um, in, in more um, just kind of cyclical areas of tech that they sell into. You know, Apple, a 10 percent customer, um, Samsung, a 10 percent customer. So probably bodes well for both of them. I just say this guy mentioned um, valuation and Qualcomm. Intel can't get out of its own way. It's had two horrible quarters in a row. Um, they're trying to get things organized. There's one that is right for activist sort of activity there. So to me, that one's really cheap in the mid-40s, in my opinion. All right. And another earnings alert here, this time on Mercado Libre. Shares jumping after the company said sales rose nearly 150 percent in the latest quarter to over a billion dollars. Um, there was a beat on the top and the bottom line. James, this was your fast pitch. Your first fast pitch out of the gate. Here we are up uh, two and a half percent. What do you think now? I think that the best is yet to come. This company is doing everything right in an incredibly powerful growth opportunity. Um, and they have analogous, they can be, a, a, you can compare them. Uh, they are analogous to Amazon in the U.S. 10 years ago. Um, but they have something better. They have something called digital payments. Um, half of Latin America struggles to pay its bills because they don't have banking products. And the Mercado Liga is going to enable them to do that. If we can get, you know, half of half of Latin America paying the rent uh, on this platform, the stock could be up 10 from 10 times from here. Yeah. And Tim Melly sits at the cross section of, of tech and EM. Perfect place these days. It Try saying analogous. Uh, James uh, and Mercado Libre in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah. Tim. 
Yeah, well, J James throwing some high heat there, and he's right. And and if you think about emerging markets, also if you look at that chart uh, on the EEM or pick the VWO, uh, you broke through what are essentially two and a half year highs. You broke through though uh, last year's resistance. Of all the charts that had a run today, this was the one that to me was most emphatic. And some of this is, yeah, maybe more conciliatory tone from China. But whether it's Meli or whether it's Taiwan Semi or Tencent or Alibaba or Samsung, which are at the top of the leaderboard and the weightings of the EM uh, MSCI index, you know, EM is a tech play as well. And these are mega cap global tech companies that I think a lot of people don't have enough exposure to. So uh, most importantly, this breakout today on the charts was very interesting for EM because the others are not breaking out. EM is. Yep. We've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The presidential race may still be undecided, but there were a trio of big ballot initiatives that have stocks from Uber to DraftKings on the move. We'll break down those votes. And later, even as votes are currently being counted, there are a couple of sectors that are looking well beyond the election. What options markets are expecting for big tech. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We may not know who will be the next president of the United States yet, but we do have clarity on a few other market-moving ballot measures. We're talking cannabis, casinos, and cars. So let's kick it off with a big win for Uber and Lyft in the state of California. Deirdre Bose has got the details. Debo. Melissa, in short, it takes away some of the regulatory overhang that has been pressuring these companies, Uber and Lyft, for nearly a year in some of their most important markets. But it also puts a focus back on profitability, which continues to be a slog for Uber and Lyft. Not having to reclassify drivers, though, it does avoid the biggest disruption to their business models. But costs will still rise in California because they promise some benefits and a wage floor in exchange for support. Morgan Stanley put some numbers on it. They estimate that it will have a 1% impact to Uber's 2022 EBITDA and a 10% impact to Lyft's. Most of the costs, remember guys, will be passed on to riders. If the same standards were applied nationwide, Morgan Stanley says it would impact Uber and Lyft 2022 EBITDA by 4 and 56% respectively, so a much bigger impact on Lyft. Regulatory challenges, though, I have to stress, they are not over. Massachusetts is suing the companies over a driver reclassification dispute, and other states have threatened similar action. Lastly, Melissa, I would just note that even with this week's surge, 
Uber and Lyft remain below their IPO prices, and Uber's pivot to food delivery amid the pandemic pushes them further into an incredibly competitive and expensive field. Back over to you. Deidre, why is there such a disparity between the impact on the full-year EBITDA between, I mean, if it were applied nationwide, a 4% impact on Uber versus the 56% impact on Lyft? Well, because Uber is transitioning, they are perhaps more diversified, right? They are present in other countries like Europe and South and Latin America, whereas all of Lyft's business is basically North America. It's Canada and the U.S., so Mm -hmm. it would have an outsized impact. And you see that disparity, too, in California because Lyft derives more of its revenue, its gross bookings in California than it does elsewhere in the U.S. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Dan Nathan, at one point... That was Lyft's advantage, that it was all U.S., that it was one business. It didn't have all these other bets. It didn't have the regulatory issues of other countries. And here we are. The impact could actually be much greater on a Lyft. Yeah, that was a great uh, last question. I got to tell you, Debo really surrounded that trade there. Um, you know, Lyft, I still like the pure play aspect of it. I like the fact that it's a $7 billion enterprise value. Um, they're just losing a lot of money. So that impact is going to be far greater in the near term. I just want to bring up one chart. We have the chart since the highs post its IPO. Look what that stock just did today on that gap. At the highs this morning, it was up 50% from last week's highs. It just tells you with all that impact, there's also a lot of leverage in this name. If they can get some things right, this pandemic can end and they can start getting some traction and moving towards profitability. This thing is probably um, a good buy somewhere in the 20s here, especially can hold that downtrend. So that's something that I'm going to keep an eye on. You know, you're not buying this because they're going to be um, profitable this year or next or the year after that. You're buying it because they have this market share that they're building here in North America. I also think someone's going to buy them. It's just um, a pretty scarce asset and they actually have some pretty good data and it could be something that um, one of these EV fleets of, you know, whatever is coming wants wants to own this asset, in my opinion. Yeah, despite the potentially bigger hit to lift guy. I mean, that that pop was still enormous on this stock. Um, where do you stand now? Because you, you had liked lift because there's a more pure play in the yeah. space. I still do a couple things. Look, you go look at Lyft, and clearly I've been wrong on this one, but this was a $70 stock in March of 2019, and you've been in a significant downtrend. Uh, but they report on November 10th, uh, close above 31, and I think you're going to see a huge short covering rally. When I say huge, I wouldn't be surprised if it got up to high 30s, low 40s, and quickly, because this is worth mentioning, this is new, this is hot off the presses. You know those CNBC stores, they're going to start issuing Debo nose shirts, anywhere from small to extra large. I think they'll be available for the Thanksgiving into Christmas holiday, Mel, just as an FYI. The perfect, uh, perfect Hanukkah gift, for sure. Uh, let's move on to a reefer referendum. Every single state that had marijuana legalization on the ballot won. Should be great news for cannabis here. Tim, what's your take? Remember, we said you, you didn't have to have a blue wave to have this be a big night for <laughs> cannabis. You got exactly that. How about South Dakota that, that voted in both recreational and medical marijuana? But again, conservative states like, like Mississippi uh, and, and Montana, and, and then, of course, New Jersey, which is the linchpin to the Northeast, very, very big, and Arizona. One in three people in this country now live in, in a legal cannabis state. Uh, eight Republican senators uh, actually come from cannabis states, and it tells you where legislation may go even without a full blue wave. So, again, remember we mentioned U.S. cannabis names last night. They rallied today. The Canadian ones sold off, and I think part of that was some people rallied the Canadian names like Canopy and, and Afria, which are great companies. 
but on the expectation that they would have more access to the U.S., and but also because they were proxy plays, and they are the, the institutional names. We talked about that. So, uh, again, some people uh, have been trying to get that exposure through Canada when, in fact, a lot of the U.S. names really are giving you exposure to the biggest market in the world. And they were up today, despite that a lot of people thought that would have been a big disappointment. So the sector traded great today on what could have been uh, a disappointment. All right. By the way, stick around for Mad Money tonight. I know you will anyway, but Kramer's sitting down with the CEO of Canopy Growth. You can catch that interview coming up at the top of the hour. All right, let's round out our ballot box bonanza with sports betting. Three states, Maryland, Louisiana, South Dakota, all voting yes to legalizing sports betting. That sent those stocks rallying. James, does this area tempt you? Heck yeah. Online gambling <laughs> market is valued at $66 billion. It's going to be a billion-dollar-a-month growth market, $100 billion by 2024. Uh, this is a great company, DraftKings. If you look at the top-performing mid-cap and small-cap managers, they own a ton of this stock. <clears throat> huge, huge upside here. Uh, this company is going to keep winning. Guy, are you as excited as James about anything? But no, I, mean, I, mean, I don't think anybody's as excited as... <laughs> I mean, he's all fired. I love that. The en- you need that energy. Listen, first of all, I, I got to say, you know, DraftKings, we were riding right. No, you, you do it. Yeah. I love it. Well, you guys are just <laughs> you know, the DraftKings, listen. And Lyft and Uber, so, oh, my goodness. Uh, wow. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'll apologize on the DraftKings because that secondary offering in the beginning of October, I think 32 million shares or so at $52. Obviously, I didn't see that coming, number one, and I didn't think it would, the stock would react as, as uh, poorly as it has in the wake of it. With that said, I'm with James on this one. I think people are underestimating the growth potential of these names, specifically DraftKings. And I think despite the fact that it's had a horrible run of late, I think you try to get back in a name or stay with the name. All right, coming up, the battleground showdown. We'll tackle what is at stake for the market with six states still yet to be called. And later, lights out how yesterday's vote is dimming hopes for solar revolution. We'll trade that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Hopes of a blue wave turning into a wash, and that could have major impacts on the next round of stimulus. Let's bring in Axios co-founder Mike Allen. Mike, always great to have you with us. It's, it's been a while, and it's great to have you on a day like today. Um, there's a lot that is still unknown, but what we do know, Mike, is that an argument can be made that the Democrats' power in Congress has been weakened. It wasn't able to flip the Senate. It lost some of the seats in the House in, in all of this, despite spending boatloads of money on a lot of key races. How does this all influence um, the, the fight for a stimulus package? Yeah, if you get a Biden presidency and we're headed there, as you know, we're not there, but uh, vice president is on route to 270 electoral votes. You get a Biden presidency. His agenda is really crimped by this, including a stimulus package. So uh, you're right that uh, not only were people surprised, it would be hard to find somebody in Washington who honestly thought that Republicans were going to keep the Senate. It would be even harder to have found someone in Washington who would say that Republicans were going to gain seats in the House. Between the two of those changes, it's going to make it really hard for him to go as ambitious as we wanted to. As we've talked here, like Joe Biden planned to go big, like he wants to show that government can work. He wants to do a lot under a stimulus package. All that is suddenly much harder. 
Hey, Mike, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. So I I guess that's kind of where I'm going with this. GOP senators look very smart in terms of the chess game they played down the stretch here to this election uh, and and pulling back. Um, What do you expect on fiscal and fiscal stimulus? Let's get right to, you know, where where can we be in the fourth quarter with much of the same crew coming back in the new year? Yeah, uh, Tim, I think that uh, they are going to be reluctant to do a lot. Uh, the, The incentives uh, to, to act uh, just aren't here. You're going to have uh, Vice President Biden out there who's going to want to get credit for a big package. So I think what you're going to start to see is the lines form for January. And Tim, I think the one thing that we need to look at, in addition to the fact the Republicans had a big night, and we talked about how their power changed. But there's a few other things from last night that in Q4, Q1 are going to make a big difference. Like one is the fact that people vastly underestimated the durability, the breadth of President Trump's appeal. Even if you wind up with a president-elect Biden, much narrower, everything last night, tighter than we thought, that's going to constrain him. But for your viewers, like it makes a real difference in understanding the country. Like we're much still more 50-50-ish that I think that we'd started to think based on media coverage, based on polls, getting toward the end. And um, for anyone who's trying to do business, like win office in America, like that matters. Hey, Mike, it's Dan. Um, You know, listen, nobody breaks more stories out of the White House than you, Jonathan, Jim. What's the word here on how far Trump will take these lawsuits to try to overturn, you know, the results of this election. And and I'm asking it in the context. Our viewers care about that because that level of uncertainty and the length of that uncertainty will start to weigh on markets. Buckle up. Uh, You say, how far will he carry it? How far you got? So I just got a text from somebody who's deploying to Nevada for a court fight. You saw a flurry of Uh, legal ballot actions uh, uh, filed today by the Trump campaign. Last night, the president throwing out uh, the Supreme Court and uh, Axios PM, my newsletter, which is about to pop. Our lead story is we talked to a lot of legal experts who say that a Bush v. Gore sequel, uh, some people had wondered, are we going to have 2000 all over again, although instead of Florida, it'd be Pennsylvania. It doesn't look like there's the grounds for that. But that is not going to stop the president. Your viewers know just because there isn't ground for a suit doesn't mean you can't be sued. And this is the political version of that. And the president said he was going to do this time and again. The president has done, whether it's on trade, whether it's his uh, posture with China and now is uh, how he's going against ballots. The president not only signals what he's going to do, he just says it and he's going to do it. So they are going to fight this, even in places where it doesn't look close, you have the former governor of Wisconsin warning them that the recount they're wading into, very difficult with the gap that they have, but they're plunging ahead. Yeah. Mike, thank you. Always good to speak thank with you. Thank you for your coverage. Mike Allen of Axios, and again, his PM newsletter will, will hit soon. Um, James, given all that Mike has said, you know, it, it sounds like we should, in fact, brace for a smaller stimulus package, given how the landscape in Congress has changed with the Biden pres- uh, the assumption of a Biden presidency. Does that necessarily mean, in your view, that we are in for a slower growth environment um, and, and smaller market gains? If we study the notes 
uh, from the Fed meetings and we look at the minutes and we read the level of their concern about our economy, um, we wouldn't be talking about anything except battening down the hatches here. A stimulus is a must to keep us from going off the cliff. Just are there guardrails uh, on canyon roads? There's got to be guardrails to keep the integrity of our economy. And a stimulus is a must. Regardless of who's in the White House, it's going to be done. And it may not be enough. Every scenario pointed to signs of recovery here in Q4, and things are getting worse for COVID, and the implications still aren't known. And so I think that markets have to come down to reflect the slow growth of the economy and then the potential damage uh, to the economy from COVID that we still haven't seen the full breadth of. And frankly, we want to make sure investors are okay. Um, and so we're taking a defensive stance. As I said earlier, 73% of the gains in this market are concentrated in 10 equities on the NASDAQ 100. So it's very important for investors to be defensive. Um, and then if things aren't as bad as they seem, um, we still would have seen economic contraction just based on the 12, 13-year bull market. Um, and so we're incredibly uh, puzzled as to why people are taking the Fed seriously, not just in its actions, but in its statements um, and its analysis of the risk to the economy. Coming up, infrastructure stocks on shaky ground as the election results hang in the balance. We'll break down what's got investors so bearish on these names. And later, a big bet on big tech, why options traders see new highs for the trade of the year. All that and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Infrastructure in solar stocks missing out on today's rally. These two sectors rallied into the election on hopes a blue wave would bring massive spending. So what do you do with these names now, Tim? On, on solar, I'll leave the, the tree hugger story to somebody. Uh, you know, I, I, I think you have a dynamic with the infrastructure that you really have uh, a, an argument that you need infrastructure either way. The size of that infrastructure bill uh, will be smaller. Steel companies took it on the chin. But copper prices are near two and a half year highs. And, and, and if you look at some of the supply demand dynamics, both in the metals and mining and resource stocks, they have adjusted over the last five years. And, and that's part of the rally that you've seen uh, even well before we had some sense of what stimulus might even have been required here. So um, disappointing for this trade. Uh, the expectation for a weaker dollar on higher Democratic spending and yields going higher is also part of the, uh, I think, the reaction today. But I'm not running from this trade. I, I think we have to have infrastructure spending. I think a lot of these companies have very good fundamentals. Uh, Vulcan Materials, Martin Marietta, Guy, you mentioned United Rentals, you mentioned Caterpillar also on that midday call. Um, I heard, I was not on that call, yeah. but I, I heard you mention that. No, well, you, you, you know, you were working at the wee hours. You know, even you deserve a bit of a break. But, and, and I do think you get back into Caterpillar because I don't think that trade is over, nor do I think the resource trade is over. But what is worth mentioning is, is First Solar and Be Ice Breaker did a tremendous power pitch a couple weeks ago in First Solar. The stock traded up to 94. I think you asked him what then. He said the right thing to do is probably take some money off the table. I think you buy it back, and you buy it back against, I think, the September 1st prior all-time high of about 78 or so. So good for B Icebreaker. And that's why you watch Fast Money for these genius power pitches, yeah. Melissa. Yeah, we had Mercado Libre and First Solar. I mean, like, really? Too, I, I do think that we played Tony Braxton for both of them as I recall. Um, but, you know, they worked out still. Uh, coming yes. up. Tony's good. <laughs> tech stocks taking fight, flight in today's rally, and option traders are betting the Red Hot Group is headed back to all-time highs. We'll break down the action when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Big tech surging today. The queue is up nearly 5%. And the options market is betting we could see new all-time highs by next month. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. We did see above average volumes in the QQQ today. And right now, the options market is still implying about a 10% move higher or lower for the NASDAQ index by the end of the year. One of the areas where we saw a lot of activity was the December 290 calls. Over 25,000 of those were trading for about $10. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that it's going to get above 300 within the next six weeks or so. So they must be betting that it is actually going to hit some new all-time highs. This is a hedged way to make that bet. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more Options Action, full show is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we've got your final trades. Take another look at today's action. It was an extraordinary day on this day after Election Day, despite the fact that we still have yet to declare a president-elect. The Nasdaq, the best day since April here, uh, with it higher by almost 4 percent, S&P 500 up by 2 and a two and a quarter percent and the Dow up by 1.3 percent. Some extraordinary moves among big cap technology, in particular Facebook up 8 percent, Google or Alphabet up 6 percent, etc. So this is something to watch going into tomorrow. Time for the final trade now. Let's go around the horn. We're going to break up the monotony and kick it off with Guy. Hey, moms, what's that thing when it's not astronomy with the stars? It's the other thing with like uh, astrology, birth, you know, astrology. And then these ones, it's the Scorpio one, it's the Scorpion, and those people tend to be, um, you know, they, they, they lay in the weeds, but then they strike. And those people always scares me. It turns out that you're a Scorpio, and today's your birthday. So from behalf of all of us here at CNBC's Fast Money, happiest of birthdays, Mel Lee. Enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, thank you. It's very sweet. And I am ready to strike. <laughs> Dan. <laughs> Yeah, happy birthday, Mel. Um, hey, listen, you know, if you listen to Mike Allen, he said buckle up. If you want to buckle up, you want to protect your portfolio in the near term, guy doesn't shut up about the VIX. Spy puts just got a lot cheaper today. I think you look out to November expiration, you buy near the money, spy puts, protect your portfolio. James McDonald. I love protection, and I've got a great birthday gift for you, Bell. It's been the greatest times of our lives investing-wise, this bull market since March 09. Nothing like it. Even 2020 pandemic couldn't bring it down. But 74% of the gains are in the top 10 tech names. We've got to protect that. It's not how much you make. It's how much you keep. Ball Q acts like insurance for your portfolio. Out with the VIX, in with Ball Q. It's the VIX of tech. What every girl wants for her birthday. Tim. <laughs> Tencent, biggest name in the EEML. Happy birthday. Hope your babies baked you a cake. <laughs> They're a little young for that. We'll see. Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money starts right now. <laughs> This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.